Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Amos, the eighth chapter. As uh, those of you who were in worship last Sunday or who watched in this past week will know, I have decided to uh, continue to preach on our Hebrew Bible texts from the lectionary, just because I really love the Hebrew Bible, so you're going to have to listen to me talk about them for a little while. So this might be a little bit unfamiliar, but this comes from the prophet Amos, chapter 8, verses 1 to 12. This is what the Lord God showed me, a basket of summer fruit. He said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass them by. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, says the Lord God. The dead bodies shall be many cast out in every place. Be silent. Hear this, you that trample on the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land, saying, when will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain? and the Sabbath so that we may offer wheat for sale. We will make the ephah small and the shekel great and practice deceit with false balances, buying the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and selling the sweepings of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who lives in it? And all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again, like the Nile of Egypt. On that day, says the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentations. I will bring sackcloth on all loins and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun and the end of it like a bitter day. The time is surely coming, says the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread or a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. May God bless to our hearing and our understanding these words of scripture. So I have a question for all of you this morning. Take a little survey. Are any of you here PKs, preacher's kids? Anybody here? Don't have anybody. We had a couple in the 815 this morning. For those of you who don't know, I am. Growing up, both my parents were American Baptist pastors, although only one was serving in a traditional parish environment. My maternal grandfather was also a pastor, as well as several more extended family members. Church was what my family did. In many ways, the family business, if you will. PKs tend to have a unique reputation in our society. 
Perhaps one of the most notable examples is Ariel, Laurie Singer's character in the 1984 movie Footloose. She's the daughter of the small-town preacher, Reverend Moore, played by John Lithgow. The life of this small town revolves around the church and its moral codes, particularly the church's prohibition on public dancing. From the moment we meet Ariel, it is clear that she is not the ideal, perfectly behaved preacher's daughter. She pulls reckless stunts with her friends and boyfriend, dresses ostentatiously to spite her father, sneaks out to bars, and worst of all, she dances. It is clear that she revels in rebelling against her father and the church. This is sort of our cultural assumption of what happens to preachers' kids. This is why we have series like the Lifetime docu-soap drama Preacher's Daughters and a whole slew of songs about the allure and the romantic escapades of wayward children of pastors. Well, in my experience, that rebellious, church-resentful outcome is only one of the typical ones for PKs like myself. Some of us, in fact, go on to become pastors ourselves. Even before I felt a call to ministry and began my seminary education, during a time when I thought I'd rather do anything else than become a pastor, I never rebelled against or abandoned the church. I have always loved church life. Not just faith and scripture, although I do love those things, but church, liturgy, community, tradition. When I was in middle school and high school, I loved going to church events, sort of making the rounds as if I were the pastor and not my mom, greeting church members and feeling like I really fit in. I belonged there. I was so moved by the emotional services of Christmas Eve, Ash Wednesday, and Good Friday. I sang in the church choir all through middle school and high school. Church was my home in many, many ways. And even when I had theological doubts, or I wasn't quite sure how I felt about God, I found so much comfort and meaning in the rituals of religious practice. I bet a lot of you feel similarly about your favorite church traditions, whether they're here at First Church or from the church of your childhood. That's why it hits so hard and maybe feels uncomfortable to read passages like the one I just read from the book of Amos. This book contains the writings of the prophet Amos, a man from the 8th century BCE who prophesied in the northern kingdom of Israel. In the Hebrew Bible, as I know many of you know, prophets were less like the fortune tellers we might associate with the job title today, and more like radical activists. Called by God, prophets spoke to accuse God's people of wrongdoings and to warn of all kinds of disaster if they did not change their ways. Of course, due to the nature of this task that was set before them, prophets tended to use rather harsh, fiery language to get their point across. And from what you just heard, Amos is no exception. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day. Be silent. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. The time is surely coming when I will send a famine on the land of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. 
ouch. As people who regularly attend, participate, and lead worship, this can feel particularly cruel and unexpected from our scripture. We dedicate a day every week, and maybe more, to coming and worshiping God. Why could that possibly make God mad? We sing songs of praise. Why would God turn them into laments? We come each week to hear the word of God, and yet God promises instead to hide it away from us, nowhere to be found. For those of you who heard me preach last week on Deuteronomy, this is a really harsh turnaround. From the word of God is very near to you, it is in your heart and mouth, and this commandment is not too far away, not in the heavens or beyond the sea. We go from those promises to now, we are told, you can wander from sea to sea, but the word of God will be nowhere. God will be silent, gone from your heart, and your praises will ring hollow. So we read just now from chapter 8 in Amos, a few chapters earlier in chapter 5, there's some of the same frightening and shaming passages, maybe even worse. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. God's really angry here. How could God hate our worship? But the verse that follows in this earlier chapter of Amos is the key. And this one, I think, will probably be much more familiar to many of you. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Worship is nothing without action. Devotion to God is nothing without a love of God's holy justice. In our reading for today, God has many specific critiques for the people of Israel, to the people whom God is speaking. Trampling on the needy, bringing ruin to the poor, taking advantage of people monetarily, acting for their own financial interest and greed at the expense of those God has called them to care for. The deceitful scamming described in this passage of those who sell wheat and go light on the weight of it and heavy on the price of it is described as bringing the poor to ruin. The welfare of those who are most in need is the responsibility of all in this community, and we are told that the community is failing them and doing it intentionally, out of malice. God does not want the people to keep their traditions of worship whether out of obligation, as seems to be implied here, or out of love for the traditions themselves, if that worship is where relationship with God ends. God's people are of far more importance than God's ego. All the praise and adoration in the world will not make up for a failure to love and care for the members of God's beloved community. Would any of this feel out of place were Amos to speak to us here today? Let's consider for a moment the sort of wrongdoings that God, or Amos on God's behalf, would take exception with in our world and society. 
Our country is full of people defending their hatred and exclusion of others with their supposed religious high ground. Abusing the tenets of their faith to control and exert power over others. And appealing to religious piety to avoid taking actual action. Perhaps the most common and egregious example is politicians who espouse biblical morality about loving their neighbor and offer thoughts and prayers in the wake of violent tragedies, but who sit in their offices refusing to take action or even directly voting against the needs of the most vulnerable. In a climactic scene in Footloose, we see that rebellious daughter confront her father about his hypocrisy of his faith, who is in an empty church sanctuary, practicing for his Sunday preaching. She says, I used to get such a kick out of watching you work up your Sunday sermons. The preacher responds, and now? And she answers, it's different. I see a stage, I see costumes, it's show business, isn't it? When our devotion to God ends, when we walk out that front door onto Old Post Road, then it is true that all of this is just show business. When we sing praises to God and profess that our God loves and welcomes all, but we refuse to welcome and love in our individual lives, this is all just show business when we profess to believe in God's word as recorded in the Bible, but support policies that disadvantage the most vulnerable among us with no regard for justice. All of this is just show business. We all love the tradition of our worship, and that's okay. We can show our love for God and this community by devoting our time in this way, by committing to this community and coming together to worship God, but it has to be just a first step of what our worship looks like in action. The God of the Hebrew Bible, the same God who lived and walked among us, is undoubtedly a God of justice. The question that remains then is, does our worship fall silent on the ears of God? Are we only making noise in this space for the sake of performance, or habit, or feeling good about ourselves. The word of God is within us. It lives in our souls and in our mouths. But when we remain silent on matters of justice, so does God's word itself. Without our faithful action, silence will overtake the word of God. When we sing our praises in this space, do they carry beyond and inform our own efforts to extend God's justice to others? If so, we can trust that God shall hear our worship of action and be pleased. I hope that when we leave this space today, we will go forth and make noise that will indeed be heard by God and inspire God to sing out to us in response. Amen.